The family dog. A faithful friend. A happy helper. And a delicious side dish. There have been many shaggy dog stories, but none more amazing than the story of Bobo. 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 Discovered in the wilderness. Where have you been for the last 28 years? I was beginning to get worried. He was raised by wolves. 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 Returned to a world he doesn't understand. I want to sign him up for tennis. Driven by primitive instincts. I have to go potty. With the proper teaching, Bobo could take his place in society. On the brink of inheriting a huge fortune. No sibling jealousy on your part? What? And now, victim to his brother's schemes. Once your brother puts his signature on these papers, he'll sign over all rights to his inheritance to you. Oh. Or will this dog outsmart his master and start acting like a man? Christopher Lloyd. All that money, what's he going to spend it on? Kibble? Colleen Camp. Cloris Leachman. We will neuter a cat in your name. And Howie Mandel has Bobo. Oh, my God! In Walk Like a Man. You like it a juice? Yeah, I couldn't even be bothered to go downstairs and get a can. I got a bottle of pop. That's all I'm doing for this podcast. Fuck I you. Just got, I just got an empty bottle of whiskey next to my bedside table. You joke, but I do have a bottle of whiskey next to my bed that I'm sitting on currently. Uh, and it, it came in handy. After watching Walk Like a Man, welcome to Saturday Night Jive. This is the podcast where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. Except for this week. This week uh, we're talking about a movie that has nothing to do with Saturday Night Live. Uh, Walk Like a Man, starring Howie Mandel. Why did we uh, want to watch this movie? Because I'm a fucking idiot, that's why. I, I don't know, I've always been kind of fascinated by it. Just the idea of it. It's about Howie Mandel raised by wolves and then being reintegrated into society. Or at least that's what it is on paper. It's not... So much that in real life, as I just watched it, and it's just a big pile of shit. You'd think this movie would be way more fun than it is. Yeah, well, and I think it thinks it's way more fun than it is. It's a lot of wacky montages that, like, it's very try-hard. Like, I'm like, oh, I, I think they think I'm laughing hysterically at this fucking bit of business he's doing. I guess. I mean... Do you think it was fun on set? Didn't <laughs> Do you feel think like when it. Howie Mandel was jumping into Christopher Lloyd? Because that was the main problem I had with this movie. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, he plays the uh, curmudgeon character to Howie Mandel's dog man. We'll, talk, we'll explain the plot of the film in a second. But Christopher Lloyd looked like he was having no fucking fun. Well, he has come out since and said this is the worst experience he's ever had in a movie. <laughs> and it shows. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, his character is supposed to, you know... Uh, like it wouldn't make sense if his character was like, "Oh, isn't it so much fun that my brother's a dog man?" Um, but I don't think that's what it was happening. I think it was just Christopher Lloyd's detest for what he was doing coming out in his performance. Well, and well, we'll get to it again. But like, there were points in this movie where it felt like they blew the take and then just kept going. Yeah, <laughs> like there's they a just lot didn't of just give master shots. Yeah, there's a lot of master shots in this movie. Which kind of makes sense, because it's, it's the last uh, directorial effort from a guy named Melvin Frank, who I did not think was alive in the 80s, but he, he like, wrote uh, the Road movies, and wow. he, he was a director, and, like, he directed Little Abner, the musical Little Abner. Which is my favorite movie musical. <laughs> That's a pretty, it's a good movie. Um, but, like, he comes from, like, the you know, the 50s cinema where, like, you didn't move the camera. Like, you just set the camera up in a room, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope did a dance, and then you moved on. There were, like, no cuts. And I think that's the problem with this movie's pacing is it's a lot of just stagnant shots of Howie Mandel running around on all fours. And Howie Mandel ain't no uh, Hope and Crosby, I can tell you that much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, as to the question of why, if they had fun on set, I think we know by the conspicuous 
fake blooper credits that aren't blooper credits. They're just clips from the movie. <laughs> no, they replay the movie over the end credits. Well, because that's the thing we always talk about, how, like, blooper credits, as silly as they are and we make fun of them, they generally are... The reason for them to be there is to show the audience, like, see, we had fun making it. Like, fucking uh, uh, Furry Vengeance. Oh, look, they're doing the song thing. They probably had fun doing that shit. Or fu- even, like, the epic movies, and the, like, they'll do that. You know, and I, I'll give it to them fine. They had fun, whether the movie sucked or not. This, I'm guessing they were going for that, and then went, oh, we don't have any footage of anyone having fun in this movie, so let's just play the clips we put in the movie. Yeah, well, and it's also, like, the end credits... It- the the song they play over the end credits is Walk Like a Man. The movie's called Walk Like a Man. They play the song Walk Like a Man like eight times in the movie. And then by the end credits, you're like, oh, I get to hear fucking Walk Like a Man again and see clips of the movie I just watched and fucking hated. <laughs> like, who's in the theater going, oh, man, that movie was a piece of shit. Ooh, I get to see clips of it again. I mean, you're you're being generous to suggest that anyone saw this movie in the theater. <laughs> it did make like four hundred thousand uh, dollars. And this this, I'm trying to think: is there a cheaper looking movie than any we've seen on this podcast? Oh yeah, I mean, I Chairman of the Board it popped in my head. Chairman of the Board at least is somewhat visually inventive in parts. To its detriment, often it. But like the the shot selection, I think I mentioned it in, on that episode. It felt like they didn't know how to make a movie, so they tried to like make every shot weird and at a weird angle and shit, very sort of Raja Gosnell esque, you know. But at least that's something. Like I, it kept me engaged. This you mentioned the static shots, like this just looks so fucking bland and mediocre. I don't know. Well, it's. I mean, I've seen a lot of shitty '80s comedies, and it's pretty comparable to that but yeah no it's just yeah. but even like fucking the last howie mandel movie we watched fucking a fine mess a fine the, mess the, yeah, that that's a very a cinematic masterpiece though. i mean you can't compare walk like a man to the the beauty of a fine mess that's like comparing a picasso to some fucking doodle i did okay a fine mess was an unmitigated piece of fucking shit but <laughs> At least when it was doing what it was doing, I got the sense that, that Blake Edwards knew how to set up a chase sequence when he wanted to do a chase. Like, I wasn't laughing because I don't think chase sequences are that funny inherently. And, you know, it's a bunch of, like, sort of outdated slapstick and shit. But at least, like, I get that he knows how to, like, do what he's doing, even if I'm not on its wavelength. This, yeah, I, I could totally believe that the director was just, like, like, phoning it in because he was close to death and it's just like <laughs> I'll just put the camera here and then go fucking take a shit should we get a second take of that shot where Howard Mandel pees on the tree I'm gonna be dead in four days god damn it it's just that there was nothing I mean I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything I laugh the one thing I kind of smiled at was in the church when the Christopher Lloyd's wife opens up the bible and she has a, a bottle of booze cut into it I got a couple ironic laughs because the movie was so bad I chuckled, but I don't think I legitimately laughed at anything. Well, there was a point, the, the, the training montage where she's teaching him how to walk, where Walk Like a Man is playing and he's like, she's like running him on the treadmill and shit. By that point, I want to say that's like 40 minutes in maybe, and I, I was getting to a point of like ironic detachment where I was like, I think... I think I might be liking how shitty this is, but like it that quickly faded and I was just, oh, it's just boring again. It was around that point that I kind of perked up a little bit too. Cause then uh, after that you have <laughs> the shaving scene. All right. Well, hold on. I, I want to talk about a couple scenes of this movie, but first we got to talk about the plot of this movie, but first sidetrack. Uh, I watched another movie with an SNL alum this week. Uh, well, I guess this, Walk Like a Man doesn't have an SNL alum, but we're an SNL podcast, goddammit. Have you watched the uh, the Weird Al Yankovic story yet? I did. I watched it Featuring the other day, Will yes. Forte. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Will Forte isn't. Yeah, he was the uh, the other guy that wasn't Weird Al in the, the boardroom scene. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think? I thought it, was, it wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be, but I yeah. enjoyed it. I was a little bothered by the... the there's like a running joke in that movie. I talked about this on my other podcast, but there's a running joke in that movie where after a point he starts to write so-called original songs. And then the people that those songs are parodies of in real life are actually stealing from him. Like he writes, eat it. And then Michael Jackson makes beat it. 
And then he writes Amish Paradise, and then Coolio presumably writes Gangster Paradise, Gangsters Paradise. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, it's a joke, and it's not malicious in any way. But just given the history of like white people stealing black music, and the two big examples in that movie are Michael Jackson and Coolio, I just I don't know. I was a little skeeved out by that. No, that didn't buy. That was my favorite joke in the movie. I wish it would have uh, kept uh, going further with that. Where. <laughs> In this alternate history of Weird Al's life, he's the original artist, and all the other people are parodying his. I mean, I loved the fucking. Songs. I loved the LSD sequence that sets that up. That was weird to me. That there were a couple of moments in the movie where I was. It's. I need to see it again because it just wasn't the movie I was expecting, and I and that's why I was let down a little bit by it. Um, but I will say the final shot into into the end credits. I was like, I, I think I just watched a masterpiece. <laughs> I loved the final scene of the film. Oh, no, I, st- I still enjoyed it quite a bit. And there's just stuff in it that's just fucking laugh out loud hilarious. The When he's making the bologna sandwich and my Sharon is playing and he's just... Yeah. And it's, the radio is skipping somehow. The inspiration from my bologna was great. I loved the whole pool party with Paul F. Tompkins as Gallagher, Emo Phillips as Salvador Dali. And I love uh, that it just turns into like a John Wick Rambo thing in the third act. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I liked all, all of that. But yeah, there were, I I think I was expecting, uh, like like you said, a funnier movie. Um, but uh, I already have Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story for that. Like Which I've never seen. I was expecting. Oh, that movie's hilarious. But that's more of like a airplane style spoof. I think the main joke of the Weird Al Yankovic movie is that it exists in the first place. And I, in retrospect, at the time I was kind of like thrown off by it. But in retrospect, I love that they just, there's like no winking at the camera in this movie. Like, well, the entire <laughs> movie is a wink at the camera and that's all you need. Everything else is played straight, which is great. Exactly. Yeah, there's no like, you know, there's not a lot of jokes in it. It's just like the main joke is like, Oh, if you know Weird Al Yankovic, you know that he didn't have a sexual relationship with Madonna. That's the funny part, is that that's not true, and it's a biopic, get it? Well, that's the other weird thing that I, I kind of had a problem with, because it's a it's a parody of biopics, so it has to follow that structure, where he's got parents that didn't believe in him. But, like, I know, because I watched his Behind the Music, that his parents did believe in him, and, like, I also know that they both died, like, tragically, like, there was a gas leak in his house, and... yeah. And it's it's just weird to like have a, like the significant part of the movie being like his dad treats him like shit. It's like I don't know. He wrote this and like that's what he's writing about his parents. That's a little weird. I, that threw me off. And that's the very beginning of the movie is like his parents just like <laughs> being so mean to him. And I'm like, oh, I don't I don't like this because like I know his parents tragically died in a freak accident. Like this isn't funny to me. But it's supposed to be funny. Maybe it's not supposed to be funny. But I fucking love that that line where he keeps trying to get Weird Al to work at the factory, and he just goes, I don't even know what they make at the factory. You just call it the factory. You'll find out what we make at the factory when you work at the factory. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff in it, but yeah, I want to watch it again. Now, I think I'll enjoy it more on a rewatch now that I know what type of movie it is. But yeah, I was expecting more just goofy silliness, which the movie doesn't really have any. Well, because I think we're both big fans of UHF, which is a much sillier movie. Yeah. And I, that's, I think, what I was kind of expecting going in, knowing that he co-wrote it. You know, I and there's stuff like that. Obviously, that sensibility is there. It's just not quite as outrageous as I wanted it to be. Yeah, it, it was not a movie I was... It's not the movie I was expecting from Weird Al Yankovic, but like I said, <laughs> the final shot of that film... Well, while we're the credits, while like, we're on the subject howling. of talking about things that aren't walk like a man, um, speaking of Howie Mandel, I discovered something exists that uh, is kind of blowing my mind a little bit, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it or would remember it if you had. Do you remember the amazing live sea monkey show? It rings a bell. Apparently, this is a thing that Howie Mandel did in the 90s. Like, it was right after Bobby's World, but right before Beekman's World, which I guess the guy who played uh, Beekman was in it, and like before that. And it's about Howie Mandel is a mad scientist who brings these weird sea monkey creatures to life, and they live in his house and have crazy adventures. And it got canceled after like 
11 episodes, apparently. I was able to find the first nine of the 11 episodes online. And I was just, I was kind of just scanning through it. It looks like so fucking weird, but I was just reading the backstory and he was like, yeah, this is going to be bigger than the Ninja Turtles. And if you watch it, you're like, how the fuck did you ever think this goddamn ridiculous shit would be as good as the Ninja Turtles? But the weird thing, look it up, look up, there's shit on YouTube about it. They, the guy, I guess, who directed it went on to direct like Stranger Danger PSA VHS uh, series. Uh-huh. And he used the sea monkey characters as like like a, he was like a kid named uh, fucking was it Chauncey or something I can't remember but like it's a little kid but for some reason he's just got a sea monkey head and he's getting molested by people <laughs> and like running away from child molesters and it's it's fucking bizarre uh, anyway it's just a weird tangent that I've been on all day because I had to think of something other than walk like a man look up any of that shit it's way more fascinating than anything we're about to talk about yeah I, well I couldn't find any uh, trivia about this movie or history about this movie or interesting facts about this movie except that <laughs> it exists and apparently people saw it again not a lot of people uh, there's a VHS rip that I that I found I'm sure you found the same one. Probably. Well, I mean, yeah. hey, that uh, that drunk wife had some had some pretty big boobs, right? Colleen Camp, the maid from Clue, returns with Christopher Lloyd. Okay. Slumming it away. Why don't you describe the plot of, of this? I, I don't have the strength. All right, well, okay. Walk Like a Man. Uh, the plot of Walk Like a Man is... Uh, we, well, we let's just go go through it. We start with a little cold open where Christopher Lloyd playing uh his uh, his father i guess they found a gold mine in the arctic uh and their dog sledding back back home and uh young christopher lloyd pushes his baby brother out of the dog sled and then that little baby brother named bobo is lost for years and years and years 28 years later the father dies and he leaves his money to his uh wife and then he leaves a third of his money to Christopher Lloyd, and he leaves a third of the money to Bobo, his lost son. Uh, you know, and but the deal is, if Bobo returns, because he was never proven dead, if Bobo returns on his thirtieth before his thirtieth birthday, uh, he gets the money. If he doesn't return before his thirtieth birthday, that share goes to Christopher Lloyd. That's the setup of the film. Oh, and then he's a dog man. <laughs> well, apparently, some at some point. <laughs> In the intervening years, which we don't see any of, he was adopted by a pack of wolves who, I guess, just hung around the area, but not in any, in any way where anyone else would have discovered them, but just happened to wind up at that same cabin or around it, right as a, a lady who's an expert in training men who were raised by wolves to be men again <laughs> happens to be in that cabin. To find well, him. Yeah, I don't understand. So That's like her job, right? Her job is like professional, I make men who are raised by wolves back into men. That's that's, <laughs> that's, that what, that's what she went to college for, right? I think that's her official job description, official wolfman trainer. Because, um, yeah, I was confused by the... I didn't know where any of this was fucking taking place. And then... So, okay. So, Howie Mandel, little Bobo, is raised by wolves. He's found by this lady who will eventually fuck this wolf man. Um, I swear to God, when they kissed for the first time, I physically retched. I went, ugh! But they find, they find Bobo in the woods with the wolves, and they take him back to the cabin. Her and this, like, old prospector who has newspaper clippings of the entire of Bobo's family. And who never comes back, even though he seems like a pretty significant aspect of the movie up to that point. I love that old prospector. He's like, wait a minute. I, I know who that is. 30 years ago, a young boy was lost in the woods. And that's got to be a little Bobo. And the reason Here. I know is because I have intimate knowledge of the birthmark on his ass. So he he's like, I know, I know that birthmark on that 30-year-old man's ass anywhere. This is young little Bobo. Here, look at my newspaper clippings of the entire history of Bobo's family. I just saved these in case I would need to provide pointless exposition at some point. I've just been waiting to screw Christopher Lloyd out of his inheritance with my evidence. 
yeah, the way we learn about the fucking plot is this old prospector is just like, okay, and then what happened was uh, the father looked for years for Bobo but couldn't find him, and then he died, and he gave a third of his money to his wife, third of his money to Christopher Lloyd, and a third of the money to Bobo. But Christopher Lloyd, he spent all of his money, and now he's broke, living in his uh, childhood home with his drunk-ass wife and Cloris Leachman. Yes, I know all of these things. Um, yeah, it's it's so, and it, he might as well have said, and that Christopher Lloyd, he's the type of man who might plan to steal that money from his brother <laughs> <laughs> in various hel- hilarious mishaps. And wonder- he's going to keep getting water splashed on him and have to put his legs in a, in a bucket because that's a running gag that's going to happen. You know, I haven't uh, kept up ties with him other than these newspaper clippings, but I bet right about now he's at a fancy club playing poker. If he was just like the Jiminy Cricket of this movie, I would have enjoyed it quite a bit more, I think. I wish he would have pulled out a mirror and said, Show me Christopher Lloyd! (laughs) Yes, he reveals himself to be Merlin at the end. Uh, but yeah, that's the last we see of this old fucking prospector. Um, because then, okay, they they bring Bobo back home. And um, Cloris Leachman is in this movie. What Poor Cloris Leachman, right? Well, Cloris Leachman, I... Why is she in so much shit? It's just like, she was in Mel Brooks movies and then like... All these shitty movies were like, ah, we need a part for a find a kind of raunchy old lady. Cloris Leachman, be in their shitty movie. Yeah, but then she'd show up in something like Raising Hope or Malcolm in the Middle. I think she just did anything. I think she was just one of those actors that was just like, I'm a working actor, like Michael Caine. Michael Caine, you think of him as a great actor because he's great in stuff that he's great in, but he also shows up in like fucking all these straight-to-video pieces of shit that you'll never see. You know? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of like that that work ethic in an actor where it's like, you know, it's a paycheck and I'm still going to, cause she's still doing what she does best. She's not phoning it in. Yeah. I mean, I guess she's fine. It's just like, uh, what is that character supposed to do? Except she talks about her pussy a lot because she collects cats. Get it? Cause a uh, pussy cat. But it's just like, it's better than there. Cause there are other actors like that, that show up in shit and you can tell when they're in shit, they know it and they, they, pull back accordingly they 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 do phone it in when they know they can and so i appreciate it when she's like i'm gonna try to make the, the best of this and make it the best i can it doesn't add much to the movie but i don't lose respect for her in the process no well i did like her when she was uh later on in the film when she was uh there's a scene where they're teaching bobo how to identify things in pictures and cloris leachman is playing along and i thought that was fun Um, But anyway, Bobo comes home, and uh, the whole thing, Christopher Lloyd, uh, now he has to get Bobo to learn how to write his name so he can sign a paper that will give uh, Bobo's part of the inheritance to Christopher Lloyd. And how he's going to do this is hire the anthropologist lady to teach Bobo how to, I guess, guess become human. Uh, And I... I know I shouldn't have this problem with this film about Howie Mandel as a dog man, but the things he understands and the things he doesn't was just, like, way out of whack for me. Well, the thing, I think a lot of it is the the flow of time in this movie is very suspect. Like, there's montages that are, I think, meant to bridge a lot longer in terms of, like, how long he's learning how to be a human again. So, like, I don't know how long it's supposed to take from... He doesn't even know how to stand upright to he's clean shaven and speaking and spelling and shit. I, I feel like that's like a couple of months or realistically it would be. I don't, But the movie wants to be sort of ambiguous as to like how long that, that process actually took. And the other thing that bothered me uh, is just like at first he's a dog man. So he's not speaking. He's covered in hair and he's walking around on all fours and he's pissing outside and he's running around the house. He's chasing cats and shit. But then it gets to a point where he's he's starting to learn how to talk. 
And then it just seems like he's just like a guy with Down syndrome or something. I texted that to you as I was watching it. Like, it suddenly occurred to me. I feel like they're just making this movie about a retarded guy. Yeah, and that's one of my notes just says, oh, now he's just retarded. Like, he ceases to become a wolf man. And it's just like the movie becomes Homer and Eddie all of a sudden. Yeah, well, Homer and Eddie, I never thought I'd say this. I feel like that was a little more respectful (laughs) to the mentally challenged. At least than this. Well, part of it, too, is, like, I feel like the movie is a bit flippant on the basic concept where, like, he comes back into all these people's lives and it's like, oh, our little brother Bobo was raised by wolves. And they don't, nobody really questions that for that long. Like, she brings him home to Christopher Lloyd and he's like, oh, I guess my my brother's a dog man and I got to take him out for walkies to pee on the tree. (laughs) Like, it's, he's like, he's kind of on board with the idea Fairly early. I mean, obviously, he wants to manipulate things and at one point wants to, like, leave him in the woods and shit. But, like, the, just the basic idea. Like, there's there's no questioning, like, this couldn't be possible. There's got to be something else to this. This has to be some crazy hobo. He can't be my brother. My brother was a baby. He would have died in the cold. How did the wolves save him from the cold? After I, as a child, pushed him into the cold snow. He never fucking even questions that. I'm well, questioning because, it. Because he has that birthmark on his ass. How how would he else would he have gotten that? And were you waiting for like a crazier movie, much like Weird Al movie? Like, because there was a point where uh, they showed the, the, the father of Christopher Lloyd die. And like he falls in the snow and like his legs are sticking out. And that led me to think this was going to be like more of like a Johnny Dangerously style, like wackier movie. You would think... The movie with Howie Mandel as a dog would be a little goofy, it's, but it's not. It I feel like it's playing it fairly straight in terms of like the reality of the film, other than the fact that everyone just kind of accepts this weird fucking thing that happened. Beyond that, they all react like relatively normal. Like nobody, yeah, there's no craziness really. I mean, there's a little bit of like he oh he chases ambulances and chases fucking fire trucks. I don't know. It's just not... I don't know. Yeah, it should be way crazier. Well, yeah, nothing's played as absurdity. Like, when he chases the fire truck, it's just it's played as like, well, yeah, that's what a dog man would do. Of course, he chased, he chased a fire truck. Of course, he chases cats. He's a dog man. Yeah, I just... And that's why it's not fun for the audience either, I, I think. I mean, there's... There's probably a lot of reasons why this movie isn't fun for the audience. But I think one of the reasons is just, like, yeah, poor direction. It's like they're not treating it like it's the wacky comedy that it is. It should be funny when uh, Howie Mandel runs on all fours and chases a cat. On paper, I would think that would be fun to watch. Well, that's... But it's just not. There aren't really jokes in the movie. I just, I feel like there weren't... It's just, like... Here's the scenario, and here's just how all of these previously established characters would react to this scenario, and then it ends. It's a, there's nothing. It's there's no like real comic complications. I mean, there's like a dinner party scene, I guess, but that doesn't really go very far. It just it feels like it's it like they didn't like they had the bare bones structure of what this story would be based on the premise. And then it was like, well, we got to fill it in with like comic set pieces. And then they were like, they just forgot to do that. Yeah. Um, what they did give us was a fucking touching romantic, uh, love story between dog man and anthropologist. Uh, what do you, did you, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, the shaving montage? Cause that was one scene where I was like, all right, I'm digging this. Well, I love that it starts with Christopher Lloyd like, what if I give him a knife and he just kills himself? That was, I, I, I like that running gag on paper too, that Christopher Lloyd, there's many times at the beginning of the film where he's just like, I mean, if he dies, I get all the money, right? So I'll just fucking like, oh, I'll murder him. I was waiting for that to become... And it's weird to say this in light of everything else we're talking about, how it should have been wackier. I was waiting for that to be more, uh, like, a deeper thing in the movie, the brotherly relationship. Like, for him to, like, maybe, like, experience some kind of remorse. Like, I shouldn't have thrown you out of the thing. Like, you know, like, that was going to be the end of their arc is, like, them actually, like, reconciling. Like, do you remember Boss Baby? (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, I mean, I saw it. I don't know. Do I remember it or did I see it? Well, think about Boss Baby. You, you go into it thinking, well, this is going to be just a horrible piece of shit. And it's not like it's a great movie or anything, but at least it, like, it deals with the idea that it's like a sibling rivalry. And by the end of the movie, they have an arc where they've grown and changed and learned to accept each other. And, you know, it's like they do the bare minimum that a movie with that plot would have, have to have to count as a movie. And this doesn't even do that. No, because uh, as we say in the cold open, you see that Christopher Lloyd, a young Christopher Lloyd, pushed his little brother out of the dog sled and left him for dead. This movie either needs to end with Christopher Lloyd, you know, loving his brother, or it needs to end with him getting like, like that coming out and him getting punished for that. Like, (laughs) there's like no mention. I think there's one mention by Christopher Lloyd's wife. Where she's like, well, my dad's a psychiatrist and he says you have repressed guilt from when you were a kid. But that, like, that's the only mention that Christopher Lloyd was the one who, you know, attempted to murder his brother when he was a child. There's just enough there to make me feel like something got cut. And they just, they, they were like, this is too heavy. We're going to cut this out of the movie. And maybe he just acts like a dog in the courtroom for a couple minutes and everybody thinks he's silly. <laughs> that's the fucking ending. But this, uh, the shaving montage... So yeah, Christopher Lloyd gives uh, Howie Mandel a razor and is just like, go nuts in the bathroom, pal. The anthropologist sees it. and She's like, oh, what are you doing? Uh, You can't shave your face. You're a dog, man. I'll shave you. And then there's like softcore fucking porn music as she's just lovingly shaving Howie Mandel's face. It's like that scene in Phenomenon where Kira Sedgwick is shaving John Travolta's face. But this guy's a dog, man. Well, that's the thing. They, like, out of nowhere, I guess, I mean, because it's an 80s comedy, you should expect that there's going to be, like, a romance subplot. But it just feels so tacked on and out of nowhere. Like, it's like a whole fucking Beauty and the Beast thing where it's like, I'm going to reveal the handsome man underneath. But then it's fucking Howie Mandel. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) This isn't justified at all. I wonder what's hiding behind that big Fuck, it's Howie Mandel. So yeah, but then like that's and then later on, I don't even remember what prompted it, but like yeah, they just have like this passionate kiss and it's just like this isn't working at all. Why do you keep thinking that this is a thing you should be doing? Uh, why did they Oh, I remember why they kissed. And that's another scene I want to talk about. Um, but yeah, so now this anthropologist is trained in Howie Mandel's dog man. He's like slowly kind of learning to sound out words, but it's like it doesn't seem like he knows what they mean, but then later on in the movie, he overhears Christopher Lloyd, like, you know, talk talking about all the evil shit he wants to do, and he, like, completely understands that. Um, but she's trying to teach him how to, like, learn utensils. I think that should be, like, the last step in his education. You know, a lot of this problem would have been resolved if they just aged up the characters, made him, like, four or five years old, so, like, he knows how to talk. But it's believable that if he was adopted by wolves, he would have forgotten all that shit and then started acting like a wolf. And then he's, it's more about him remembering it rather than learning it for the first time because he was a fucking I, baby. Yeah, I could buy that if it was more of like a Mowgli situation, you know, where he was like 10 years old, got lost in the woods, wolves took him in. But, you know, he hasn't uh, communicated with humans for 30 years. Cause that's, that would make sense. That's real. That's happened. They've had people that have been like in the wilderness and they've just forgotten how to speak and shit. And then eventually they can relearn it, but, and they have it inside them. It's just, it's like a, you know, an atrophied muscle, you know? So like, that's, that's a thing that can happen, but not, he would have, the baby would have fucking died. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that, but I, even if the baby doesn't die of hypothermia, like immediately, cause it is like the fucking, Arctic Alaska that this baby gets dropped in. Uh, even if that doesn't happen, yeah, this baby has never learned to read, never learned to speak, never learned to do anything on its own. I can't buy that a 30-year-old baby raised by wolves in a couple days would be like, oh, hi, how you doing? <laughs> I texted you earlier. Are you a homo? Yeah, I don't remember this line at all. <laughs> you don't remember this? My favorite line of the movie. Uh, at one point, I can't remember why, but uh, Howie Mandel ends up in a mall, and uh, I think she's go. I think the anthropologist is trying to just buy him new clothes, 
Um, and he ends up in a dressing room with another man. And he's like, there's, you know, they're comically falling oh, all over yeah, each other. Yeah, I was tuned out by this point. <laughs> uh, and then the guy goes, are you a homo? And he goes, no, I'm a bobo. All I remember about this is the Teddy Ruxpin thing and like this weird attempt to make him like, oh, look at what a, a naive innocent he is. Oh, fuck you. That's what leads to the kiss. It was so fucking gross. Like, ugh. It was so gross, but kind of crazy. Um, he sees a Teddy Ruxpin in a toy store, and the Teddy Ruxpin starts talking to him. And I, I like, I thought maybe he was going to think the thing was real or something and become its friend. But then a little girl sees him with the Teddy Ruxpin and goes, Hey, Mommy, can I have that toy? And the mother goes like, You know we can't afford such things. Yeah, that... I could never buy you a Teddy Ruxpin, my beautiful daughter. Don't you know we're only in this mall so I can show you all the stuff we can't afford to buy you? I take you to this mall every day to walk you past the shops of things I could never afford. And then Bobo hears this and is like, Oh, Teddy told me to yeah, he wants to be with you. And then the anthropologist lady sees that, and I guess that's when she's like, Oh my god, this dog man. He gave a toy to a little child. I I want to fuck him now. The, the, all through this mall sequence, and it's another fucking montage of, let's just put a camera on Howie Mandel and have him do goofy shit, but it's not goofy enough to matter. All I kept thinking of is maybe one of the greatest 80s comedies of all time that we watched for this podcast, Making Mr. Right, the John Malkovich robot movie. I kept thinking of that too, because this movie is just kind of parallels that movie it's a plot that i cannot believe uh, a character that should not be as intelligent as he is but somehow is people not understanding what's weird about this situation and they end up in a mall but with that movie it works because he's a robot so it's already fantastical so you can suspend your disbelief as to what he does and doesn't know like you I, like I was never questioning it in that movie whereas this at premise, it's more grounded in the sense that he's a person. So, like, I'm questioning that at all points. Yeah, that, Making Mr. Right is is one of those movies where I, when we watched that, I was like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Now that I've seen Walk Like a Man, I'm like, no. Remember when he <laughs> drops Making his Mr. pants right. and they're all looking at his robot dick? <laughs> Making Mr. Right had uh, John Malkovich's uncircumcised robot dick. Uh, there's, there's no fucking Wolfman dick in Walk Like a Man. Yeah, no, that's, well, I mean, I'm sure there is, we just don't see it. That's, that's the thing, like, he's a Wolfman, like, he doesn't know, like, consent, like, why isn't he just, like, pinning this lady to the ground and humping her? Yeah, no, it, it makes the things he, (laughs) how quickly he is integrated into society is completely unbelievable, and it should have been played as a joke. Like, if this movie was wacky and crazy and off the wall, it would be fine. But you can't make a movie about Howie Mandel as a dog man and ground that in any kind of reality. Yeah, no, it's so such a weird fucking choice. I guess because I think a lot of it was they were banking on so much of the humor being like the, the juxtaposition between... You know, the high society, highfalutin Christopher Lloyd character. Like, oh no, what happens when the dog man goes to the country club and all of his fucking snooty friends sees him? But that's not funny at all. But like, I guess that only works if if it's not crazy, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird decision. Well, yeah. And then in reality, when you think about it, there's not so many things you can do with a dog man. He's going to piss on somebody's leg. He's going to hump somebody's leg. He's going to chase a cat. What else are you going to do with the dog, man? I feel like this whole movie was sold on, like, Howie Mandel is a funny physical comedian, which I've never really associated him as that funny of a physical comedian. But, you know, like, oh, he'll be able to vamp and make that premise work. Howie Mandel playing a man who thinks he's a dog, that's like printing money already. And they got to set and they were like, okay, what do we do? Well, I guess I'll hump a guy's leg and pee on a tree. All right, and... That's all I got. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, do, do dogs uh, put uh, rubber gloves over their heads and breathe, breathe into them? Do they? Is that a thing a dog does? <laughs> that would have been great if he's just sniffing around the kitchen. He sniffs into the rubber glove box. He comes up with a little fucking rubber glove on his head. Um, 
Howie Mandel. Do you like him? You know, I was. I mean, I. I mean, I guess I liked Saint Elsewhere as a kid, and I think I watched Bobby's World, um, and I think I. I I enjoy him now as like a presenter. Like I don't watch any of those shows, but I've seen like his podcast every once in a while. Like when he has somebody interesting on that, I, I want to hear him talk to. He's fine in that kind of role, but like, yeah, I don't know that he was ever like sufficient as a leading man. Yeah. Well, I, I think it just in comedy. Uh, Cause I remember being a kid and like, yeah, I would see the, the little latex glove over the head thing. And I'm like, I'm six. And I think this is hacky. I actually feel like had he leaned more into like the Saint Elsewhere tragic comic thing, like I think he could have had like a like a Tom Hanks career, like early Tom Hanks, like big, you know, Joe versus the volcano, like that level of Tom Hanks career, if he'd like made a, gone a little more serious and not tried to go as much for comedy. Yeah, I feel like he has but... a bit of somberness to him that could work, but he does he doesn't seem to have as much faith in his abilities in that direction. Yeah, because I, I got into Saying Elsewhere when it was rerun on TV Land when I was in high school. And he was good on that show. But yeah, when he's in comedies, I'm just like, well, this guy's just not funny. Well, like watching this movie, think of like if he'd been cast in Big instead of Tom Hanks. I feel like yeah, that. Yeah, I think he could pull that yeah, off. Yeah, I think he could have pulled something like that off. Yeah. Um, what else about this movie? I mean, yeah, the other thing that this has that Making Mr. Right has, just we've talked about it already, but ladies. Being sexually attracted to things that they shouldn't be sexually attracted to. Because the courtroom scene at the end of this movie, uh, how we get there. Um, uh, did you have anything to say about the high society dinner scene? I Again, it's just Howie Mandel shtick I didn't, didn't care for. Well, I was kind of surprised that it wasn't crazier than it was, ultimately. Yeah, he just, like, licks a turkey. Like, that's as crazy as it gets. Yeah, I was waiting for... Because, like, that seems like the big, like... I mean, it's a sitcom sitcom plot, basically. It's sort of a, a derivative of, like, the boss is coming over for dinner and it, can, it has to yeah. go smoothly kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, I feel like you should have set that up to be a much more intricate series of here's all the different things that could go wrong and then it's a domino effect of them all going wrong at once. And then there's a, maybe there's a turn where... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what it would be. I'm not the writer of this fucking piece of shit movie, but I don't know that there was one because nothing fucking happened. Yeah, no, it was just a very boring, um, you know, man dog at a dinner scene. <laughs> you know, those dog man at the dinner scenes that we've seen in so many countless films. Well, but it's and it's also weird because like that's like they set that up earlier. You mentioned it, I think, where it's like she her the Christopher Lloyd's wife's dad is a psychiatrist, I guess. And he's in a position to, like, he can declare Harry Mandel non compass mentis and get him, like, uh, you know, uh, sent to an asylum or something. And then I guess at that point, he would autom- Christopher Lloyd would automatically get power of attorney and get his money. But, like, yeah, you- that's that's the plan. They're holding this high di- society dinner party so Howie Mandel will act like a dog man and be declared legally insane. But I feel like that would have been the first thing you would have fucking thought of. <laughs> Before she shaved him and made him look like a person? Well, Frank, he tried to drown him in a tub at one point. I know. Christopher Lloyd doesn't have good plans. They're like, what if we just leave him in the woods? Not, what if we show him to any psychiatrist now before we teach him how to read and shit? And uh, like, automatically they'll be like, yeah, of course he's crazy and can't handle his money. I feel like if you just took how the dog man that showed up on your door that day... No judge is going to be like, yeah, no, you should have $30 million. So, like, the idea that that was ever an option and, like, they only thought of it in the third act and not the first act makes no fucking sense. Either that's not an option, that's not how the law works, which I can believe that, I guess, for the purposes of the movie, or that's an option and that's the fucking first thing you do. Well, I I don't know how the law works in this movie because they have this dinner party, Howie Mandel licks a turkey, and now they're like, this man's insane. So they go to a court... Where Christopher Lloyd's lawyer is like, yeah, you can't give the money to this dog man. He thinks he's a dog. He's crazy. Uh, uh, you're going to have to give all the money to Christopher Lloyd. And the judge is like, hmm, let me think about this. Now, did you notice the judge oh, fuck, in the courtroom? Oh, fuck, this is goddamn crazy as shit. What, what the fuck was this about? Okay, well, because at first I was waiting for... because Okay, earlier scene, Harry Mandel chases a fire truck. And he gets to a, a building on fire... 
and there's a whole bit of business where he goes into the building and jump, and he's, he's jumps off the roof, and then Christopher Lloyd goes in the building and jumps off the roof, and that's just all shtick. But yeah, before he goes into the building, uh, a lady's in the crowd taking pictures, and I thought she was going to be like a journalist, and it was going to turn out to be like a thing that gets on the news as a result of that. But no, it's like she's taking pictures, and then he picks up her purse and gives it to her. It's like, thank you, and it's like a, a moment of recognition. And then you get to the, the the courtroom and she's the judge. And you find out through their conversation, at least the implication is, she just likes to take pictures of fires. It's like a <laughs> fucking sexual fetish of hers. And it's not like, because the, you'd think they'd set that up to be like, she recognizes him from that and goes, you're the nice man who picked up my purse. I know you're not crazy, but she never, I don't believe she ever recognizes him. No, it, the the way the courtroom scene plays out is she's like, okay, I'm about to bang this gavel, making Howie Mandel legally insane in the eyes of the law. As soon as this gavel comes down, wait, anthropologist breaks in and goes, I'm in love with the guy. <laughs> then Howie Mandel gives a retarded speech. He suddenly understands all the nuances of the human language. Um, Christopher Lloyd acts like a dog. And then the judge goes, okay, case dismissed. Howie Mandel, you get all the money. That's how the law works in this film. Yeah, well, I mean, and again, at that point, it's like, I can't bring myself to question it or care. But I, and you know, just talking about Big and also Jack with the Fran Dresser and Robin Williams scene, this lady falling in love with this dog man, like he's not mentally competent to consent to sex, I don't think. No, not at all. And the worst part of this movie is like the last line in the film when after the courtroom scene, Howie Mandel is going to get uh, the inheritance that he he's rightfully deserves. Christopher Lloyd, I don't know what happens to him. But Howie Mandel and the anthropologist are standing outside of the courtroom. They kiss. And then a priest walks up to Cloris Leachman and goes... I think you're going to have grandchildren soon. Why is the movie making me think about their sexual fucking relationship? Well, and that's because it's and that's also a call that well later on there's a call back early on they're like walking in the park and she just casually asks, "Do wolves mate for life?" Like, yeah, they do, <laughs> forever and ever and ever. And then that at the end they're hugging and he's, he's going forever and ever and ever. And it's just like, ugh. Ah. This is not cute or romantic in any way, movie. You, get, you can't. This is a dog man. You can't have the movie about a dog man end with, hey, I think that dog man's going to knock up this lady. I mean, at the very least, if you're going to do that, do a doggy style joke. <laughs> I don't know how you would make it in any way that was in any way tasteful, but... It doesn't have to be at that point. I don't care. Fucking remember the end of Caddyshack where the dogs just start fucking? <laughs> or the dog fucks the gopher? Or does the gopher fuck the dog? Nobody fucks anybody. <laughs> no, at the end of Caddyshack too, remember? The gopher, he looks at the, the gopher looks at the dog and is like, eh, but, but there's no fucking in it. Am I just remembering that from our podcast? We were like, we wish that they'd fucked. <laughs> I think I was pitching fucking. Okay. And you know what? If this movie ended, here's how I would have ended the movie. All right. So you got Cloris Leachman and the priest. They're looking lovingly on uh, the dog man and the, the lady the dog man's about to fuck. And then the priest goes, hey, I think you're going to have grandbabies one day. And then you cut to Howie Mandel just like humping her face. And he goes, "They don't make, you don't make babies that way. I mean, yeah, I guess. I, that's the thing. You notice how we didn't do that thing a lot in this podcast where we're like, here's all the ways we can make this movie better. Because there just aren't a lot of ways to make this movie better. The, the way to make this movie better is to not make it. Yeah, well, you could make a fun movie about a dog, man. I could see a Farrelly Brothers movie <laughs> with this premise working. Like, I would. there's a reason I've I've always been curious to watch this movie. I wanted to see the Howie Mandel's A Dog Man movie. But then you watch it and you're like, well, how's this movie fucking boring as shit? Yeah, that's that's the the craziest thing about this movie is how not crazy it is. Given everything about it that you would think going in, you wouldn't assume... Again, yeah, you were saying that it shouldn't be grounded in any kind of reality, but it is. not, And not for any perceivable, perceivable purpose. 
it just seems like they just didn't know how to make a wackier movie than than what they were making. They just didn't have any like there's whole scenes I mentioned this in the, where it seems like they're either making up their dialogue or like they blew a take and they just keep going. Like there's a scene where Christopher Lloyd and uh, the wife are talking about Colleen Camper. That's when they they come up with the idea to get him committed, and like he's clearly like he, he forgets the line and then they just keep going and they didn't do a second take. Yeah, no, this is this is a movie that ends with a woman giving a heartfelt plea in a courtroom confessing her love to a dog man and that's played completely seriously like how did nobody on set go like this scene should be like fucking funny right like this is ridiculous well and the the crazier thing about that is you're getting it a little wrong she comes in not to profess her love for the dog man she comes in to reveal the plot and say oh no they're trying to manipulate him out of his money and it's the other side it's christopher lloyd's lawyer who's like yeah, but don't you love that dog man? I have your diary where you wrote about how you love <laughs> that dog man. And then she's like, she, like even though, like, is this evidence? Did you enter this into evidence? And it's like, okay, would you read this passage about how you love this dog man? Fine, I guess well, I love the dog man. It would probably be evidence because it's not her diary. It's like her official report that they pull out and is like, yeah, this is your report that you've been working on, an anthropological study. And here on page 35, it's like, I think I want to fuck this dog, man. And I was waiting. I get, they didn't do enough to set it up in the movie, but I was waiting for that moment where, like, he had touched so many people's lives positively. You mentioned the judge. Like, I was waiting for that moment where, like, there were a bunch of people in the courtroom who were like, yeah, he's a dog, man, but he's okay by me. Like, everybody stands up for him, you know? Like, I was waiting for something like that, but then I remembered, like, oh, no, there's not enough characters in the movie where that happened to. Like, I saw the judge, and I was like, I think that's going to happen with the judge. But, like, you can't have that moment with just one character. Yeah, no, that's that judge is so bizarre because they make such a big, like, they don't really make a big deal of her first scene, but they close up on her face long enough that when she showed up as the judge, I remembered her from that earlier scene. But, like, there's no connection or anything. It's not, she doesn't go, like, nah, I know you, like, uh, run into buildings that are uh, on fire to save people. You're, you're good. None of well, that. Well, no, it's it's kind of a blackmail suggestion because like he's because he goes up to her and says, "Hey, do you think it's crazy to chase after fire trucks?" And she's like, "I guess it's not crazy." And she mentions like, you know, just like it's not crazy for people who just like to take pictures of fires. The implication being that that's like her weird fetish. So it's like, oh, I guess if oh, I'm not okay, crazy, you're you... not crazy. Okay, that's what you were talking about. I, I, I guess I misinterpreted that scene. I thought that was just, you know, hey, remember me, I remember you. Like, I'm a human being. Because that's what you think it would be in any other movie. That's what it would be. Oh, I remember you from that thing where you were nice to me, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. That's why I'm the same character. That's why oh. you do that. But that's not what this movie does. What this movie does is, okay, you don't tell anybody that I get sexually aroused taking pictures of fires, and I'll I'll rule on this whole dog thing. Okay, that, Okay, yeah. All right, now that's... Even fucking crazier, that, isn't it? Now that I replay that, that's... That, that makes no goddamn sense. So, I guess, like, so she wasn't supposed to be at the fire or something? I Well, she's taking pictures, but, like, and that's what, because I was immediately confused by that, because I was like, oh, they're going to make her, like, a journalist or something, and it's going to end up in the yeah, papers. Yeah, same thing. But then they never that have that gonna... scene, so. Oh, my God, yeah, that makes, okay, that makes no sense now that I think of it. Yeah, it's fucking weird as shit. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing of this about this movie. That judge's life as a fucking pyromaniac photographer, amateur photographer, is way more interesting than the fucking dog man fucking a lady. Ooh, maybe she started the fires. Maybe that was a thing, dude. And he smelled the he smelled the burnt matches on her. I mean, and, and if that were like, if it were made even more explicit, like I know what you did, and now you're gonna help me, <laughs> that would have been even fucking crazier. But I would have loved it. I would actually redeem the movie. I think. And she's just this kindly old lady like, all I like to do is start fires and then take pictures of them. Is that, is that against the law or something? <laughs> I mean, I should probably know I am a judge, but 
Ain't nothing in the rule book about starting See, fires and taking pictures. And if it were the wackier movie that it should have been, that would have been it. Like, she rolls against him, and then he points out, like, hey, aren't you that lady that started that fire and took pictures of it? And it's like, what, is that against the law? And then another judge walks <laughs> in and goes, well, yes, it is. And then... <laughs> Just sits down and replaces it. And then she goes, and also, I'm going to roll in favor of the dog man. Uh, yeah, like I said... <laughs> Yeah, it could have been fun. It could have yeah, been if fun. you just accepted what a fucking dumb idea it was and just lean into it. Yeah, exactly. But that's what the movie never does, and it's so bizarre that it never thought to do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other words about walk like a man before I spin this wheel? Does he? Well, no. But before you spin the wheel, I don't. Did you? I guess you didn't get my text or didn't read it. Oh, yeah, I got that text about finding movies, yeah. but you didn't tell me what it was in reference to. I, well, because I was leaving it for the podcast. I, oh, okay. I, but, uh, yeah, I jotted down some I things. have an idea I want to pitch to you. And you we can we don't have to do it. It's just, a you know, an idea. Um, but uh, we, because we keep doing this thing where, like, we pick a thing, and if, if one of us is more, like, excited about it, we, then we blame that person when it sucks. Yeah. So I thought of an idea for like, I don't know if you want to do it as like a sub-series or just another way to pick movies, and I'm calling it I Blame You, and the idea is that in addition to the, the spinning wheel that we have, we each have our own randomized list of all cheat picks. So like I have a list, I literally found like a hundred that I have on a list here that I could just randomize, uh, to, that I put on the list, and it's no, I mean, it doesn't have to have an SNL person, it's just a movie we want to watch that we think would be fun for the podcast. And we can go like alternate week to week, like you do yours, then I do mine, you know. And we still have to talk talk it through and agree to it, but like it's just another way of doing it. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I could. I think I'll probably just uh, to keep in our format. I'll just temper the <laughs> temper my wheel with eligible movies. I mean, if you want, and then I could just have non-eligible movies. Since I mean, are we basically to the point where we don't care either way? I mean, no, I don't care. I mean, as long as it's not something like. Uh, torture porn or something. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be picking any snuff. Films. I went out of my way to pick movies that I feel like. Well, like the first one on my list is The Honeymooners from 2005 with Cedric the Entertainer. I think that's got somebody in it from. SNL. Oh, does it? Uh, I think so. I'm just gonna like a few of the ones that just came up and that I randomized. Um, the Honeymooners. Uh, did I and I put this on here because I watched a clip of it on. YouTube and I desperately want to watch it. It's from 2000. It's a movie called Whipped. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's it's got um I can't remember her name now. She was in a bunch of movies in like the early 2000s. She was in like uh, the whole nine yards. She was like the girl in that. Uh, Amanda. Amanda Pete. Pete. Yeah. And I just I the the only thing that came up on YouTube this I was looking for a trailer for it, and I found this clip and it just looks like the shittiest fucking movie I've ever seen in my goddamn life. Whipped from 2000. Um, and then let's see. Oh, and then Who's the Man, which I think was also on the list at one point. Uh, Colin Quinn is in Who's the Man. Okay. Um, let's see. Life Stinks, the Mel Brooks movie, which I've always been interested in. I've tried to watch that so many times. <laughs> I get like 20 minutes into it and I'm like, why am I watching this Mel Brooks movie I'm not going to like? Uh, Tiptoes, the Gary Oldman little person movie. <laughs> I've seen that. Okay. It's another one. I mean, fun to talk about, maybe, but not fun to watch. Um, but anyway, that's an I, option. But you can also spin your wheel. Yeah. Well, huh, I guess we'll spin the wheel and see what we get. I got some. Uh, maybe we'll land on a SNL recurring character. Uh, oh, the uh, the Steve Buscemi episode of Saturday Night Live. Which one? I think we didn't. We watch one of them already. We watched his second already, but no, his first one. That runs into the problem of I think it's just going to be another good episode. Oh, it is a good episode. Well. It's one of the greatest episodes of Saturday Night Live ever. Is that better than, let me spin my wheel. I'm actually just sorting an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. Is it better than The War with Grandpa starring Robert De Niro from 2020? Yes, we almost watched that for the podcast. <laughs> I watched an hour of that, and I think I texted you, and I was like, let's pick something else. All right. Well, is it better than... Uh, <laughs> is it better than Head Over Heels, the movie where... Uh, uh, 
Um, Freddie Prince, Prince Jr. Jr. And they think he's a murderer because they see him apparently kill a girl from across the, the, the window. That's what that movie's about? I think so. I think that's why I put it on there. Oh, I thought it was a teen comedy. Um, well, I spun my wheel. Uh, what about The Principal starring Jim Belushi and Lou Gossett Jr.? I mean, I'm willing to watch that, but what about RV starring Robin Williams? RV was on my list of cheat picks. <laughs> well, then I feel like we have to watch it now. Um, I mean, I've seen that movie many times uh, because <laughs> me and my old roommate uh, would get a free, you know, free subscription to Stars. Like for some reason, like every other month, it would be like, "Oh, hey, we have Stars this week." It's like a special promotion, and the only movie Stars ever played was fucking RV. So we'd watch it like every time it was on because we're like, it's free and we only have it for a week. I, the more, I mean, I, okay, well, so you're, you're pretty well versed in it. So like I would, you maybe wouldn't have as much interest in watching it. I mean, I would still, I would watch it for the podcast. Cause I've, I don't remember it. I've seen it so many times. I don't remember anything about it. I believe Robin Williams does get covered in poop at one point. <laughs> pretty sure that happens you're selling it for me more and more but yeah that's that came up and and the fact that we both have it on our list i feel like that's kismet i feel like we need to watch it i'm um, if you want to watch rv next week i guess i'm down for that i know old dogs is also on my list old dogs was on my list too Uh, and what men want from 2019 with tracy morgan i saw that in the theater it's not it's not as fun. I mean, it's it's just an, it's an okay film. I mean, it looked like a Saturday Night Drive movie, even independent of Tracy Morgan being in it. Yeah, but like it, it kind of knows it's it's what movie it is. I say let's go with RV. Uh, all right, I can watch RV. So all right, so <laughs> thanks for listening to our thoughts on Walk Like a Man. Next week we will be watching the Robin Williams Jeff Daniels. Uh, Barry Levinson classic. I believe that's a Barry Levinson. I didn't know it was a Barry Levinson movie. It might be Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld. Wow. Not Barry Levinson. Sorry. Barry Sonnenfeld. That's crazy. That does not look like a Barry Sonnenfeld movie. Yeah. Um, Doesn't feel like one. Uh, Apologies to Barry Levinson. You got off this time. Well, like, because you have Men in Black, Adam's Family, Wild Wild West, and then RV. What the fuck? (laughs) All right, well, Robin Williams and Jeff Daniels uh, share a motorhome next week. Until we see you again. Get Get off off the the shit. shit.